Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Glad you guys are here with us. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Luke chapter 1. And I want to emphasize a couple of announcements that you just heard. Uh, first is our CR Christmas concert. That's this Thursday uh, from 6.30 to 8.30, all right? It is going to be held in the parking lot. Um, I'm excited to be able to be there and, and, and to be a part of this. Uh, bring you a, a bag chair, bring you some, some hot chocolate. Maybe it'll be anywhere. It'll be somewhere between 90 and 30 degrees because it's South Carolina, right? Um, and so, so bring you you something and, and just sit back and we've got a talented group of musicians who are going to perform a, a bunch of different types of Christmas music. And so I guarantee you there will be something there that you'll enjoy and so come out and, and join us. But then also, uh, we I don't know if you guys remember or not, but we did a blood drive uh, right after we, we shut down, I believe, uh, I think it was like April or May of last year. We did one and, and the Red Cross reached back out to us because they're at that time where they des- desperately need more, more blood and asked if we would host another one, and so we are. We're hosting one tomorrow. And so you can go online to Red Cross. You can either search our name or search our zip code and, and be a part of that. They wanted us to let you know if you're, if you're curious, if you've had COVID or if you have the COVID antibody, that they do run that COVID antibody test. And so that's a great way uh, to find that out and, and to help others. So if you can't make tomorrow, I was on the website the other day, and I want to say there are several churches in our area. So if that doesn't work for you tomorrow, uh, then make sure you have that opportunity to do that. So we are in, in Luke chapter chapter 1. Well, we're going to read a, another encounter with, with Mary this morning. But what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about pride. Right, so pride's going to be kind of at the, the, the root of, of the message this morning of, of what we're going to discuss. Now, as we talk about that, I want to acknowledge that pride, if that's a sin that you struggle with, all right, it is a hard sin to, to, to recognize within yourself, all right? Um, it's an easy sin maybe for others to recognize, but it's a hard sin for, for you to recognize within you that, that you struggle with pride. Like, if someone struggles with, with greed, right? Greedy people typically know that they're greedy. They're just okay with being greedy, right? Prideful people have a hard time seeing that they struggle with pride. And, and here's why. Because what pride causes in you is to look at yourself and go, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine just the way that I am. It's what it begins to manifest. And so for me, as I, as I rolled through this over, over this week and how I prayed for myself and, and prayed for you, and we'll, we'll kind of end with this as well, is God, if there are areas in my life that have pride that I'm incapable of, of seeing or, or unwilling to see, God, reveal those to me, all right? So as you go through this this morning, like uh, lean in, dependency on the Holy Spirit to, to show and to teach what is exactly going on. So let's start reading in verse 36 of chapter 1. This will be uh, part of the passage that we read last week. It says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who will be called, who was, who was called, excuse me, barren. 
for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So this is last week. The angel has, a, has appeared to Mary. And last week, we largely focused in on Mary being told that she will be the mother of Jesus. But there is another part of that conversation. And it's about Mary finding out about her cousin, Elizabeth who is also miraculously, but in a different way, pregnant as well. And what we see in this encounter are these two different extremes. We have Mary who is very young, who is, who is not married, who is a virgin, so who should not be pregnant, but is going to be through the working of the Holy Spirit right, and is going to bear Christ. But we also find out about her cousin Elizabeth, who is married and who has, who is not a virgin, who has been with her husband, but who has never been able to have a child. And so the angel reveals to her that, that Elizabeth, who was barren, she is not barren anymore. And through God working in her life and in the life of her husband, she now has conceived as well and this son will be John the Baptist. All right, so let's jump into verse 39. So in those days, Mary arose and went with haste until the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So you've got Mary who is going through everything that Mary is having to go through with this, all right? Imagine all that she is carrying at this point, and she finds out why not the same. There's some similarities of what God is doing between her and her cousin Elizabeth. So she goes on a journey to be with Elizabeth as they can relate. These things shouldn't have happened, but yet, because of God's will, they happen and they take place. And then there's this miraculous thing that happens. It says that, that she entered into the house and she greets Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth does not know that Mary is pregnant. But as Mary gets closer to her, the baby in the womb of Elizabeth, John the Baptist, who will be the announcement for Christ, right? Her baby, Scripture says, leaps in the womb. And before Mary can even tell Elizabeth the news, Elizabeth proclaims what is taking place through the power of the Holy Spirit, and she begins to worship the unborn Christ. Right? And so what we see in, in Scripture, this is like the first Jesus-like like worship service moment kind of happen in here in the incarnate Christ, even before he is born. 
Like we, we begin to see the, the weight of, of what is happening here, uh, of these two women and the different journeys of life that they've been on, but the similarities of what has brought them and through only how God could do this in their encounter, a baby in a womb leaps for another baby in the womb and the mother of one of those begins to worship. And then Mary is going to begin to, to sing a song. Mary's going to begin to, to worship as well. And so verse 46, it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For from behold, uh, from now on all generations will be called blessed. For he is mighty, has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers to Abraham and to his offspring forever. In verse 56, and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Now, the last couple weeks as we've read through and, and studied a couple of different passages of Scripture, uh, you, you notice like we, we're continuing to look at Mary. Even though we're, we're, we're understanding who Jesus is and, and, and largely our, our response to Jesus, we, we found ourselves really, really studying Mary. And I want to be honest with you, like, since I've been a believer, this is even before I was a believer, this is the story that I've known because I, I was raised in church. There's not one point in time in my life that I did not know who Jesus was, nor is there not one point in time in my life that I didn't know the story of Mary and the Christmas story. That was later on before, before God saved me, but this isn't new to me. But, but this year, it, it's kind of hit home a, a little bit more for me as, as my daughter is, is probably the exact same age that, that Mary was at this time. And here, here's what, what just impresses me. What, what impresses me about Mary, of, of what God is, is showing me, is not only the faith of Mary, but the maturity of the faith of Mary. We, we see a depth in her young age of maturity that, just being honest, so many of us who have been a follower of Jesus for years pale in comparison to the depth of the maturity that, that she shows, the, the burden that she's carrying, the, the weight that she feels, all of this has is, is come out. And as you read this story, very, it's very hard to remind ourselves, hey, this is a preteen girl. This is a young teenage girl because we picture someone so much older and seasoned in life, but because of her maturity. But that's not necessarily the case. And so in this, as I was reading through this week, is what makes Mary's maturity so evident? Right? What, what makes it like, like she, was, she, she was a woman of faith before because God chose her for this. 
So what are we seeing in Scripture in her response to the angel? What are we seeing in Scripture in her response to this moment where, where, where Elizabeth's baby leaps in the womb and Elizabeth begins to worship? And what we, what we begin to see is we see humility. We see humility in Mary. We see humility greater than any sense of entitlement that she may be feeling in the fact, the truth, that God had chosen her for this. There's only gonna be one Savior. There's only gonna be one Messiah, which means there's only gonna be one mother of the Messiah, and it comes from her. So what I want us to do this morning is, is I believe there are three markings of humility that are found in Mary's song but also three markings of, of pride that are found in this. And so I want us to, to work our way through those this morning. The first marking of humility that we see is fear. Uh, Bo, that's, that's, a weird, that's a weird marking of humility is fear, but, but let's look at this. It says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Now, now fear is a difficult thing. Because I could make the statement, no one likes to be afraid, and you could say there could be some of you that would argue that's not true. I like to experience fear. I like to get close as I can to fear. And so maybe you like watching scary movies. Maybe you like going to haunted houses. And in those, you allow yourself to be frightened. But here's what I would argue to both of those. You know that that movie's not real, and you know that that haunted house isn't real. So you're afraid in the moment, but you know that there's safety on the other side. And maybe you're like, well, Bo, I like to, I like to skydive, and I like to do bungee cord stuff, and, and that stuff is crazy to me because I hate heights, right? But you're like, I like to look fear in the face, but at the same time know that you have a rescue to know that you have safety on the other end of that. So fear is a hard thing because when it really boils down to it, you and I do not want to be put into a situation where fear comes where there's not safety, where fear comes and it's not the escape. So when we say a marking of humility is to fear the Lord, that's a hard thing for us to wrap our mind on. But God's word and his mercy, right, who receives his grace, who lives in this is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So the marking of the fear of God is something that we should obtain and that we should have. Now, when fear in church is talked about, specifically fear of the Lord, well, I think two things happen in this topic. Number one, we either don't talk about it, or number two, we, we water it down, right? Now, in Scripture, when you see people who come face-to-face -face with God, what is their typical reaction? Oh, no, I'm about to die, right? Go and look. Old Testament, New Testament. That is the reaction when people come face-to-face -face with God. So there is a, a, an application of fear that happens within that. And so I, I sat through and I tried to think through an illustration that would make sense in my mind to help us communicate what it means to fear the Lord. And, and I know that this illustration can be picked apart sideways in, in, in every way, but, but I think this will help us grasp this, okay? Um, about uh, three or four years ago, in a moment of being vulnerable, and I see Mike Smith is here, I bought another dog, all right? 
And I say another dog because we already had a dog. I bought a Chesapeake Bay Retriever, and we named him Doc, all right? From last week, Doc Holiday is where he got his name, all right? And, and this dog, my wife went, went unless we went to Mike's house, and, and she found, she said this going there. She said, Bo, I want the biggest puppy he's got, all right? And so tucked in the, in the back of the yard was this massive, with rolls coming off of him, puppy. And she said, that's it. And she scooped him up. And overnight, that dog went from being a puppy to about 130 pounds, right? His head is like the size of a cinder block. He's a full-grown horse. This is a big old dog, okay? Now, I love this dog. It was a moment of of vulnerable weakness then, but I've grown to love this dog, and this dog loves me. We have a great relationship. I I love both of my dogs, but about Three years ago, so we'd had him about a year, a year and a half or so, Emma went out into the backyard. And it was summertime, and I remember that because she had, a, had a, like a tank top on, and she was out there, and the dogs were, were loose. So I've got a black lab, and we've got this big Chesapeake r- retriever that's there. And, and all of a sudden, I know Emma's out in the backyard, and I hear these screams happening. And I look out the window, and Doc is just trying to play with her. He's just trying to love on her, but this 130-pound dog is jumping as hard as he can at my daughter, and his claws are going down her, her back, and you can see the blood begin to, begin to happen, and begin, you see her wounds that are there. And so I take off, and I go into the backyard, and within about 10 seconds, what that dog experienced was discipline, right, that led him to fear of me, that led him to a proper authority of who I am and who he is. And we haven't had a moment's problem with him since in that. Because in that moment, what he needed to know is that in spite of my love and my care for him, I'm his master. And I think oftentimes when we miss that the most gracious thing that God does with us from time to time is that he disciplines us. And that we become in these feelings that God is our friend, which he is. That God is loving, which he is. That God is compassionate, which he is. But also within that, in the demands of his holiness in light of a sinful world, there's a wrath being held back from him, and that in that, that the humility of the Lord is marked in fear of the Lord, and what causes us to fear God is the exact same thing that causes us to surrender to God. It's what causes us to bow down before him in full and in complete surrender because of the fear of the Lord. That we understand that those of us made in the image of God, that we are not God. And that that is for him. And that is for him. And it is only through his grace and his mercy that we are even still here in this moment. And so it says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. The second marking of, of humility is, is perspective. Perspective. 
It says in Luke 152, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. So it says that God brings down, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but that God also exalts. And so who does God exalt? Those of humble estate, those of perspective of who they are. When we go back and we look in Scripture of seeing what God does with men and women of faith, that God chooses the least likely who understand who they are, that understand what they're capable of, but they also understand the goodness and the holiness of God. It's what we've seen already with the story of Mary, that God took this nobody girl from a nobody village and raised her up and exalted her. And it all comes into and based out of the perspective that I don't see myself as coming from my throne, but I see myself from humble estate. It's what God does with David. Right? If you go back and remember the story of the great mighty warrior who would kill Goliath, the great mighty warrior who would become king when the prophet comes and tells David's dad, hey, from one of your sons, the next king is going to come. Bring them all to me. Right? David's own dad left him out in the field and brought everyone else. Right? That David, in, in his humble beginnings, in his own insignificance, his own dad excluded him. Moses, from when God called him to lead his people from Egypt, Mur Moses was a murderer on the run, working as a herdsman for his father-in-law, who was limited by his own speech impediments. And God said, no, I'm going I'm to exalt you. In all of the disciples that Jesus called in his ministry, they all came from the outcasts. They were all men who were passed over. And time and time again, right, when the wealthy come to Jesus and Jesus says, you got to lay it down to follow me, many of them say, no, I'm not going to have that. But the people who are broken, the beggars and the prostitutes and the tax collectors, when they come to Jesus and Jesus says, but you got to leave everything behind, and they say, well, I have nothing to begin with, right? It's all based in perspective. All of the men knew, all of these women knew that they were nothing without God, and that's who God exalts. The third thing that we see in, in context to the fear is gratitude. Gratitude. Luke one fifty three, he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. I want to ask you a question. I want you to be honest with yourself. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on this, but just think about this. Have you ever been hungry? Now, there's been a lot of times in my life that I've been ready to eat. I've been really ready to eat. But I don't know that there's ever been a time in my life that I've truly been hungry, right? Like, like, me, like you can look at me like there's excess here that I need to work through right before that truly happens. But have you ever been truly hungry? Well, God's word says that he filled the hungry with good things. And so what we see is that in God's people, there's this desperation that when they're there and they're desperate for this, that God then gives them what God calls good things, and that in that, what comes from that is, is gratitude, okay? Now, about four years ago, 
I was, I was headed home. I'd, I'd been here at the church, and I was heading home one night, and, and I stopped at a gas station. I needed to get some gas, and I'm standing there um, pumping gas, and this lady comes, comes walking across the parking lot, and I can tell, like, she's, she's walking toward me. So I'm like, all right, here, here we go. I don't know what's about to happen, but I've got maybe a, a feel, and she comes up, and she says, excuse me, sir, and I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, me and my daughter, we're, we're in our car, and, and we're homeless, and we're really hungry. Would you mind getting us something to eat? And I said, no, ma'am, not at all. She said, you know, it's been days and since we've eaten, and no one is willing to, to feed us. No one's willing to give us some food, so thank you so much for, for what you're going to do. And I said, man, no problem. And so I said, let me, let me finish pumping gas. And I looked at the gas station. There's a restaurant attached to the gas station. I said, there's a restaurant attached to this gas station right here, so as soon as I get done pumping gas, we'll go in there, and, and I'll get you and your daughter anything, anything you want to eat. Anything you want to eat. And, and as I'm telling her this, I'm kind of looking at her, and, and the look on her face is now different. And I said, ma'am, is that okay? And she said, well, I really don't like this food. There's a Wendy's down the road. Would you mind if maybe you could get in your car and take us down there to Wendy's and get us something to eat at Wendy's? Now, at this time, I'm trying to now filter through what's the proper thing that I need to say. And I said, ma'am, I said, I said I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to drive down to Wendy's and get you something to eat. I didn't say this, but I was thinking for safety reasons, or, you know, that, that's probably not wise to, to do that. My wife would, would frown on this. But once again, I said, but I'm willing to go inside this restaurant right here, and if you're truly hungry, I will buy you and your daughter anything that they offer for you to eat. And she said, well, no, we, we really don't want that. And I said, ma'am, then you're really not hungry. Because her gratitude was based in, not of what she was given because of her situation, but for what she wanted. Now, years ago, Aaron and I hadn't been married long. We wanted a mission trip to Zimbabwe. Talked about this story before, or this mission trip before. And while we were there, we were staying at a hotel. And I'll be honest with you, it is, at that point in time in my life, it was the nicest hotel that we had ever stayed at, that I had ever stayed at, and probably still to this day was the nicest hotel that I'd ever stayed at in my entire life. And we had uh, someone who would, who would clean our room every, every morning and every evening, and it was different than a maid service. They were continually checking in with you during the day to make sure that you had everything you, you needed, and it was the same person. And it didn't matter how early it was or how late in the evening it was. This same person was always uh, nearby where, where we could get them. And it was a young man by the name of Brighton. I'll never forget his name. His name was Brighton. I was about 25 years old at the time, and, and I would be willing to bet he was, he was maybe 16, 17 years old. Well, when we were going to Zimbabwe for this, for this missions trip, I was going to be speaking at several churches, and Aaron was going to be leading worship at, at the churches. We were told Zimbabwe is, Zimbabwe is going through a famine, so bring some food, because we can't be guaranteed that we'll be able to get food every single day. And so we, we packed up a suitcase, we, we packed granola bars and, and, and peanut butter and just things that, that we could take with us. And, and a couple of things, from, remember from last week that I packed, was I packed some peanut M&Ms, but also packed some Snickers candy bars. 
And so one day Brighton has come into the room and, and I'm sitting there and, and you really kind of feel guilty because you feel like they're, 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 there's weight on your hand and foot, you know? And, 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 and so I, I've, got this, uh, I've got this candy bar and I'm sitting there in the chair eating the candy bar and, and I notice he keeps looking over there at me, right? And I'm like, keep staring back at me. And he looks at me and he says, is that a candy bar? And I said, yeah, it's a candy bar. He said, what kind of a candy bar? And I said, it's a, it's a Snickers candy bar. And he said, oh, I've heard of those, but I've never had one. And I said, oh, well, I've got, I've got more. So I, I went to my bag, and I opened it up, and I pulled out the candy bar, and I invited him to sit down, and, and let's have a candy bar together. And he said, no, 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 I can't do that. And so he opened up the candy bar, he took a bite out of it, and then he put the wrapper back over it, and he put it in his shirt pocket. Well, this is Africa during the middle of the summer. Like, it's hot. And he's got on this, 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 this perfectly ironed white shirt, not a stain on it. And I looked at him and said, Brighton, I'm not sure that that's a good, a good thing to do, to take that candy bar that's been opened and put it in your white shirt pocket. That, that chocolate's going to melt. It's going to get all over your shirt and potentially ruin your shirt. Just go ahead and finish eating the candy bar. And he said, no, I can't. I said, why not? And he said, well, I've got five brothers and sisters at home, and they've never had a Snickers bar either. And so I want to have this bite and then make sure every single one of them can have a bite of the candy bar. Which at that point, like I could have given him anything if he'd asked for it, right? I was like, no, no, no. I went over the bag and got every Snickers bar that we had out. I was like, here, you take them. I don't need them. I'm fat, you know? And I loaded up his pockets with candy bars, and he went home, and it was a great week getting to know him. But that's the difference of gratitude, right? One person that this is what I want, but one person who is grateful for what they're given. Gratitude does not cause us to look at what others have and wonder why not me, but gratitude causes me to see what I've been blessed with and give thanks because God has filled the hungry with good things. But let's look at the markings of pride. Markings of pride. So if there's these that mark humility, there are these that mark pride. And the first one is, is blame that we want to look at. Blame. Luke 1, 51. He has shown strength with his arm and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Now, I, I love this, uh, these words that Mary uses as God inspires her. The, the Greek word for thoughts here is, is imagination, all right? So, so here's what Mary is saying. He allows the proud to get lost in their own imagination, right? Have you ever met someone who doesn't have a sense of reality, Right? What is going on in their life is not the way that anyone else sees it, but only through the way that they see it. Well, what God's Word says, what, what Mary is proclaiming is that what God does is for people who find pride, or people who are rooted that their hearts are filled with pride, that he scatters their thoughts in their hearts. So literally, they're believing their own narrative that they're making up as they go. And what this begins to do in the heart of a prideful person is it manifests itself into blame. Because if you look at this, 
To blame someone means that there's no ownership on your part for the negative decisions that you made. It's only someone else's fault that you find yourself in the situation in which you are. Why? Because you've believed the lies of your own mind. You've believed the imagination that is there. And it's a terrible, terrible path when we begin to walk down that. A couple weeks ago, I, I got a haircut. And, uh, and I usually, I don't have like one place that I go or, or one person that, that cuts my hair. Kind of wherever I'm at in Lexington, I just find the nearest place and I go there. Which means I have a new person cutting my hair almost every single time I get my hair cut. And so I was over on, on 378 in Lexington and I needed a haircut. Uh, Aaron had been telling me, you and Grayson need to get haircuts. And so there was one right around the corner. And I was like, well, I'll just go there. And so I go and, and, and I, I like talking with the person that's cutting my hair, but but I honestly had something happen, getting my hair cut this time, that had never happened in the entire, my entire life of me getting a haircut. I, I sit down in the chair, the, the lady asked me, how would you like you, for your hair to be cut? And, and I tell her, because it basically doesn't matter because it's all falling out anyways, right? And so I sit down and, and she puts the, the little cover there on me and, and she sprays my hair down and then she begins to sing the whole time right? And very quickly, I got very uncomfortable. I've never been in this situation. I've never been serenaded while you're cutting my hair. And so I don't know why this made me so uncomfortable, but it made me uncomfortable. And so I'm like, I've got to start a conversation with this lady so that she'll stop singing at me in this moment as she's just singing. And everybody's looking at us like, do y'all know? I don't know. But here's where we, where we find ourselves. And so she paused for a moment and I said, you sure do have a pretty voice. And she goes, oh, well, thank you. And she began to talk about singing and, and her love for singing. And then she said, she said, you know, and what I really love to sing is at church. I thought, great conversation, right? We're about to talk about church. We're about to talk about the Lord. And before I could say anything else, she said, but I don't sing at my church anymore. Now I'm trying to get out of the conversation, right? Like, go back to singing. <laughs> Singing's good, right? And she said, it's all my pastor's fault. Well, those are my people, right? And so I'm sitting there and I said, well, I hate to hear that, but also kind of thinking through my brain, please don't ask me what I do for a living, you know? Um, and she said, yep, we were at a business meeting, which is where churches just kind of fall apart sometimes, right? We were at a business meeting at our church and I asked him a question and I didn't like his answer. I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. And she said, so I quit singing. I said, oh. She said, and I quit going to Sunday school. I said, okay. I quit volunteering. I quit going on Sunday nights. I quit going on Wednesday nights. And I quit going on Sunday mornings. And it's all his fault. How sad is that? We didn't dive into the story because I'll be honest with you, you're in a vulnerable spot, right? When you've got scissors pointed at you and got someone angry. But in that moment, what she began to walk down through and what was causing her, she acknowledged, I'm not as close as God as I used to be. I'm not as close to my family in Christ as I used to be. 
And it all began to happen because what she was experiencing in her life was blame. And she said to me, she said, you know, I know I need to get back into singing. I know I need to get back in church. I'm just not there yet. And I said, well, maybe God will give you the opportunity to forgive so you can. Here, I don't know the situation. I don't know the story. But here's what I know. That we've got a pretty good crowd in this room right now of people who have experienced hurt and disappointment and brokenness in life. And what happens when we, when we live in a world of blame, that I am where I am solely because of what other people done, then that blame holds us enslaved to the situation that we find ourselves. And do you know what the opposite of blaming is? Do you know what gives us freedom from that? Is forgiveness. I no longer blame you, I forgive you. I no longer blame you, but I release it. And here's the funny thing for that, for that lady. I asked her, I said, did the pastor know that he made you mad? And she said, no, he has no clue. You know, she's holding on to something that's not keeping him up at night. And it's what blame continues to do. Blame keeps you in the hurt, but forgiveness allows you to move on. But blame is filled in the heart of the pride because it's what's been done to us. The second thing is control. Luke 152, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estates. So we talked about what God does as he raises up those of humble estates from their perspective. But we see that he brings down the, the mighty from their thrones. Right? What does a throne represent? A throne represents a kingdom, and what a kingdom represents is control, that this is mine and that this is what I have. Here's what pride does when it creeps into the heart of men and women. It says, I have control of something that I've never been entrusted to control, that this is mine and this is my kingdom, those that he brings down. And what we try to control are the things that consume us that we were never meant to control, but instead we were intended to release. Instead, the things that we were intended to surrender. And then the last thing of the marking of pride is those who are self-satisfied. Luke one fifty three says he has filled the hungry with good things, but we get the opposite. And the rich, he is sent away empty. Right, that's not how that's supposed to happen. The rich are always supposed to be full. The rich are always supposed to have possessions within this. But God's word says that when it comes in the engagement with him is that he fills the hungry with good things, but that the rich, he sends them away empty. So what does that mean that we are self-satisfied? Well, if you're self-satisfied, then you don't find your satisfaction in God and in who he is. And so in those moments in pride where God begins to work and navigate and move into your life, in the moments where the Holy Spirit begins to draw on your heart the, the characteristics, the positioning, the, the, the posture of a self-satisfied self person says, nah, I'm good. 
No, I'm good. I've got what I have, and there's no need for that. And then here's what it prevents. Those who chase after Jesus are those who are desperate for him. But those who are satisfied, those who are good right where they are, do not chase after him, but instead feel contentment in and of themselves. I want to ask you three questions as we close up. When it comes to your life, I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to speak to me. Do you live in fear or blame? When it comes to moving through your life, do you have perspective of who you are and who God is, or do you seek control? When it comes to your heart, do you have gratitude? Or do you find yourself seeking self-satisfaction? Then the marking of Mary, the marking of maturity, was the one found in humility, desperate for God in her life. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much for who you are and what you've done. Lord, I thank you that in your sovereignty, in your, in your choice of Mary, Lord, that as she burst forth in song, what is shown from her words is what it means to, to humbly walk after you, to fear you as the holy God who does love us, who does want a, a relationship with us, who is kind and compassionate, but is holy and is righteous. We're not in a partnership with you, God, but we're in surrender to you for who you are. Lord, make us humble through giving us perspective. As you exalt those of, of humble estate, Lord, have us have the perspective on who we are in light of you. How desperate, Lord, we should be for you. And that in that is when we can experience being exalted, not in the way that this world defines, Lord, but in a way that will glorify you. Lord, and lastly, give us, give us hearts of gratitude. Lord, we're, we're here. We've got clothes. We've got food. We've got air in our lungs. We've got salvation. It's reason to praise you. Lord, have us to stop looking and saying, why not me? And just responding to you because of what you've done for me. Pride will lead to our destruction, but humility will bring us to the feet of God. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray.
Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.